good evening. It is 5 p.m. and you're listening to Today in YGK on CFRC 11.9 FM. Brought to you by CFRC's News Collective. Christina Laurie, Dinah Jansen, Chancellor Miracle, Lauren Tucker, and Jesse Bell. I'm Christina Laurie and here are your local news headlines. Have your say. City launches 2024 budget engagement. The community is invited to help shape the City of Kingston's 2024 operating and capital budgets and to provide valuable feedback on future budget engagements. In a quote from Desiree Kennedy, Chief Financial Officer and City Treasurer, it is important for Kingstonians to be informed of how the city's budget works and to have the opportunity to influence how their tax dollars are allocated. We encourage residents to provide input on what matters to them. This is your community and your budget, so make sure you have your say. As of July 21st, residents can visit Get Involved Kingston to complete a survey and to share their ideas on the approach to future budget engagements. Staff are also planning in-person pop-ups later this summer. Watch the Get Involved Kingston project page for further details on how you can can get involved. Once again, community members are encouraged to visit the Get Involved Kingston project page to learn more about the 2024 budget engagements and to share their input. To complete a survey by phone or request a mailed copy of the survey, you can call 613-546-0000. Changes are coming to Kingston's Bellevue House. A new management plan for the Bellevue House, National Historic Site in Kingston, has been tabled in Parliament. The Bellevue House, located on Center Street, was home to Sir John A. Macdonald from 1848 to 1849. The current description of the site is a place to explore the complex legacy of Canada's first Prime Minister. Under the Parks Canada Act, it is required that site management plans be reviewed every 10 years. A decade since the last review, this year's review has resulted in several strategic changes to the exhibit presented in the House. The creation of the new management plan was informed by consultations with Indigenous partners, the site's Community Advisory Committee, local and regional residents, partners and stakeholders, the public, and community organizations. This includes discussions Parks Canada had with the Mohawks of the Bay of Quinty, as well as Kingston Region's urban Indigenous community about the direction of Bellevue House. The Community Advisory Committee was also newly formed during the development of the new management plan. The management plan for Bellevue House also includes input from other partners and stakeholders, local residents, and visitors. The new plan for the Bellevue House identifies three key strategies moving forward, with perceivable goals to measure progress in these categories. Firstly, they aim to present an evolving understanding of Sir John A. Macdonald's legacy by addressing this piece of history from multiple points of view, being open to continuously updating messages and engaging in challenging discussions. Some of the targets included in this strategy include, by 2024, a dialogue be initiated with local Indigenous partners through respectful, mutually beneficial engagement efforts, and by 2025, regular meetings be occurring with Indigenous partners and groups of varying cultural heritage with the intent of identifying meaningful and valued outcomes and developing new offers. Their second key strategy includes increasing awareness and enhancing the site's presence and leadership in the city's network of historic places. This will include increasing the site's involvement in community events and local initiatives. One of the measurable goals they aim to achieve is doubling their social media followers by 2027. Key Strategy 3 seeks to provide a renewed heritage experience. To do this, they aim to continue to modernize the experiences provided at Bellevue House and develop new programming content including immersive activities to be more inclusive of all target audiences. In a quote from the Bellevue House Community Advisory Committee, Sir John A. Macdonald is an integral part of Canada's history and the Bellevue House is a historic symbol of that story. However, we need a more complete picture of the man's legacy, a picture that includes everyone. We will continue to support this management plan as Bellevue House National Historic Site strives to demonstrate a commitment to ensuring that all people from this diverse Canadian society may feel and know that their part in that history is accurately remembered and shared. 
end quote. Hiroshima Day is coming up on August 6th. Hiroshima Day is celebrated every year to promote peace among nations and to create awareness about the devastating results of nuclear weapons. Hiroshima Day is observed on August 6th to commemorate the atomic bombing of Hiroshima, Japan in 1945 at the end of World War II. I sat down with Judy Wyatt with the Hiroshima Day Coalition to discuss some of the events they have planned to spread awareness and commemorate this day. To start us off, I was wondering if you could speak a bit about the film screening you have coming up at the screening room. Um, I believe this is a free event, and I was wondering if you could chat about the film of choice. The film is a made-for-TV film that came out in 1983, and despite the fact that it's quite old by now, it still has really excellent reviews. And the film is particularly shocking because it is a depiction of what a nuclear war dropped on the United States would look like. And the, the, this, the film is set in a small town in Kansas, and the premise is that a nuclear bomb has been launched. And so we follow the characters from the moment that they hear that a nuclear bomb is on the way, and we watch their fear and their panic, and then we watch what happens when it explodes, and we watch the aftermath. And this film was shown in 1983 on television, and it got a lot of press attention and many it was quite controversial even before it was shown because many people thought that this wasn't an appropriate subject for television it was going to be too graphic too gruesome i'm a retired high school teacher and i remember how much my students uh, talked about that film before we watched it and of course that was at the time of destination tv you know mm -hmm. um and it it was widely widely watched and the students really really had a lot to say about it the next day it's, it's a very, very powerful film. People talk about nuclear war as if they can know something about it or can imagine it. I don't think many people can really imagine what it's like. So we um, are going to show that film, The Screening Room. So that will be on Wednesday, July 6th, and the film will start at 5.45 in the Roxy Theater. It's, a, it's a, one of the smallest theaters at The Screening Room. Thank you for the details on that, so folks can um, attend that event. Um, you were also just saying before we started this interview, you were at Novel Idea getting um, the window display set up that you have there. I was wondering if you could speak a bit to that and what that will entail. Well, we've got two large banners, one that reads Nagasaki, one reads Hiroshima. The letters are vertical in black felt on a white, long white um, piece of fabric. And when we use them on the day of Hiroshima Day, August 6th, they're always there in the background. And as I said, I've been involved with this event for 40 years, and those banners were at the, the very first event I ever attended. So they're, they're more than 40 years old. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of relics for us. People who look at the display will see many books that are available at Novel Idea and magazines that are pertinent to the subject. Um, they'll also see a paper crane that's suspended in front of a banner that that's been painted for a previous Hiroshima Day event. And if they look carefully around, they will see paper lanterns that have been used in the past. For many years, we've had families create uh, paper lanterns, which we floated on styrofoam uh, with a candle inside in a in a water. We've done that at the, uh, the fountain across from City Hall, Confederation Basin. And then we've done that in the pool at McBurney Park. And this year we won't have lanterns floating, but we will have them available for people to see and we will light them when dusk falls. I was wondering if you could speak a bit to the significance of lanterns for Hiroshima Day. I believe there is specific meaning behind them. Is that true? 
yes, the lanterns are a way to acknowledge the passing of a spirit, remembering the spirit of somebody who's died. And they are lit in, in memory of, of people. And this is something that, that occurs in, in Asian countries. And so when we've done this over the years, we've had people decorate them in whatever way they feel is appropriate. And some of them we saved throughout the years. Many of our lanterns have things written on them in Japanese because in the summers, Queen's often has um, an English language class for Japanese students to attend. And many times we've had Japanese students who are in Canada just for the summer attend our ceremony and are very pleased and touched that we, so far from their home, continue to remember this terrible event that they certainly know about. Mm -hmm. And I believe there's also opportunity for lantern making. That's true. That's on this coming Sunday. Once again, that was Judy White with the Hiroshima Day Coalition. You can visit the window display at Novel Idea Bookstore until August 7th. You can attend their free film screening of the day after at the screening room on Wednesday, July 26th at 5.45pm. And you can also attend their lantern making event at Memorial Market on Sunday, July 30th at 10am. And finally, you can attend the peace ceremony on Sunday, August 6th at 7.30pm. You can also be sure to tune in to Kingston Currents next week to hear more from Judy Wyatt about Hiroshima Day. That's all for your headlines this week, and next up is your Arts Desk with Lauren Tucker. Thanks, Christina. Here's your arts and culture news for the week. The 15th annual Kingston Writers Fest will be running this September, and this year's lineup was just announced at the Agnes Etherington Centre on Wednesday, July 19th. Among those featured this year are major highlights like Emma Donahue, Alicia Elliott, Patrick DeWitt, Britta Badur, and Vincent Lamb. Programming will feature fiction, nonfiction, culinary, poetry, experimental, hybrid, spoken word, staged reading, and songwriting programs, as well as trivia and writing retreats. For more information on Kingston Writers Fest and the full lineup of events and authors, you can visit kingstonwritersfest.ca or kwfunbound.ca. The Limestone City Blues Festival lineup has been announced for 2023. Friday night's main stage will be featuring Roosevelt Collier, Bywater Call, and Rob Lutz. Saturday night's headliner Jeremy Albino is fresh off the release of his new album Tears You Hide and will be sharing the main stage with Jerry Ledger and The Situation and Teresa Mellenfond. Wristbands for the festival are available now online for only $25 and they give you access to all three nights at the main stage and participating club shows. You can find all of this and more at Downtown Kingston the Kick and Push Festival has officially started as of July 22nd and will run until August 19th across downtown Kingston. Kick and Push aims to take the audience beyond passive observers and they are now in their ninth year. This year you can catch shows across venues and styles. For more on Kick and Push and to get your tickets, you can visit thekickandpush.com. Don't forget that you can stop by Market Square every Sunday for the Cataraqui Indigenous Art and Food Market, featuring a variety of vendors, each with their own unique touch. For handcrafted items, visual art, clothing, jewelry, home decor, and traditional indigenous dishes from Cadu's First Foods, you can stop by Sundays from 10 to 3 p.m. through to September 24th. At Kingston's Independent Cinema, the screening room, you can visit every Thursday evening and Friday night through to August 3rd for the B-Side Cinema series, bringing you underrated gems from Hollywood auteurs David Fincher, Christopher Nolan, Steven Spielberg, Sofia Coppola, and David Lynch, with series host Dan Simpson, PhD student and host of Eyebrow Cinema on YouTube. 
This Thursday, catch the 2006 Sofia Coppola period drama Marie Antoinette, starring Kirsten Dunst, showing Thursday at 5.40 p.m. Then catch David Lynch's Wild at Heart, running Friday, July 28th at 9.30 p.m. and into the beginning of August, starring Nick Cage and Laura Dern. For more on the Screening Room's events and for tickets, you can visit ScreeningRoomKingston.com. If you're looking for an opportunity to try something new this summer, you can keep a lookout for two classes. You can catch Summer Swing Mondays bi-weekly from 7 to 10 p.m. with the Queen's Swing Dance Club at the Spire. Each night kicks off with a beginner-friendly dance lesson taught by experienced dancers, and then you can stick around for two hours of open social dance and practice time. Queen's affiliation is not a prerequisite, and all are welcome. Tickets are $5 for students and $10 for community members, and you can visit queensstc.ca to find their Eventbrite link and register register now. And starting tomorrow, July 4th, and every summer Tuesday in Springer Market Square at 6.30 p.m., you can attend the free Salsa in the Square lesson and social dance. Instructors will be able to guide you through learning the dance and having fun. No tickets are required, and all you need to bring to this dance floor is your energy, spirit, and dance shoes. Again, that's Salsa in the Square every Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. at Springer Market Square. That's all I've got for you this week on Arts Desk. Now I'll turn it over to sports. Good evening, this is Jesse Bell from the CFRC Sports Desk, and this is your sports report for Wednesday, July 26, 2023. This is the second part of our OUA men's football season preview. Now we shift to the OUA East. We begin with the York Lions. Last season, York finished 1-7, and and that sole victory came as the result of a forfeit due to the use of an ineligible player by the McMaster Marauders. Without that forfeit, York would have finished 0-8, and and I predict much the same for 2023. This is a program that is in a desperate need of a culture overhaul. The Carlton Ravens are another program that has certainly seen better days, and although they haven't been at quite the same levels of futility of the York Lions, it's been abundantly clear that this Carlton team is nothing more than a fringe playoff outfit at best. I expect them to finish the 2023 season with a 3-5 record. Ahead of them in the standings will be the upstart Windsor Lancers, one of the most improved programs in all of U-sports. A great ground-and-pound offense and a solid defense will lead Windsor to a 4-4 four four record and a playoff spot in the OUA. I predict that the Ottawa GGs will actually be the third-place team in the OUA East. Though Ottawa has been one of the powerhouses in the East, I just feel like the University of Toronto Varsity Blues have built enough of a culture and a program there to edge out a GG's team that always seems to falter when the lights are on brightest. Look for Ottawa to feed the rock to JP Simonkinda and Ben Maracle to air it out as always, but ultimately I feel like this Ottawa team is one that has missed its championship window. U of T will finish second in the OUA East with a 5-3 record thanks largely to the play of Kinsale Phillip, which means that your Queen's Gales with a 7-1 record I predict them to win the OUA East thanks to the excellent arm of Alex Vreekin and the steady rushing attack led by Anthony Souls and Jared Kasari. And that ends your sports report for Wednesday, July 26, 2023. This is Jesse Bell signing off and throwing it over to Chancellor Miracle for your community update. Registration for Roots and Wings Free Summer Camp is now open. The summer camp involves hands-on activities such as scavenger hunts, puzzle making, science experiments, cooking, and more. 
open to BIPOC youth ages 8 through 12. The camp hours are as follows, August 19th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. and August 20th from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m., ending with a BIPOC food share, location to be shared with registrants. The Sexual Assault Center Kingston is looking for folks who want to join their board of directors. Candidates they are looking for will possess a strong interest in working towards SACK's vision of a community free from sexual violence and in alignment with SACK's values. SACK is committed to fostering a diverse and inclusive board, and they are looking for applicants with diverse backgrounds, identities, experiences, and cultures. The Art of Survival, a Prison for Women Memorial Collective, also known as P4WMC, exhibition brings together more than 30 local, national, and international artists and collectives who have produced artwork inside institutions for women or while on parole. This exhibition is part of P4WMC's long-term project to remember and honor people who lived and died inside women's prisons across Canada. The purpose of the exhibition at the Pump House is to provide a heritage experience that showcases the history and artwork created by artists and collectives serving as an educational resource, offering engaging visuals and learning experiences for visitors of all ages. The P4W Memorial Collective curated and organized the art exhibition at the Pump House, and it will be displayed from July 4th to September 2nd, 2023. It is an art exhibit that focuses on art made by women who have been incarcerated. The exhibition's theme is to distrust negative stereotypes of criminalized people and people who have spent time in prison. Heritage Services wishes to support and host the P4W Memorial Collective at the Pump House Museum by displaying and exhibiting works of art that speak to their core theme. Heritage Services staff are also looking to create an information panel in an existing Pump House display case that speaks to the history of the prison for women. The exhibition includes painting, drawing, mixed media, beadwork, textile, sculpture, photography, video, and a small retrospective on Tightwire, the Prison for Women newsletter produced inside from 1970 to 1993. This exhibit will be hosted at the Pump House until September 2nd. And that's all for now. I'm Chancellor Miracle, and this has been your Community Update. Now over to Christina Laurie with your Campus News. Thank you, Chancellor. This is Christina Laurie coming in with your campus news. Queen's students have a few upcoming deadlines. Queen's University Professor of Psychiatry, Dr. Ann Duffy, is the lead author on a paper advocating to prioritize the needs of children at familial risk, children living with parents with severe mental illness such as depression, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia are at high risk for developing mental illness themselves. Written by a group of international experts just published in the Journal of Nature Mental Health. This landmark paper is a call to action and gives guidelines as to next steps in the development of policy and prevention designed to support the well-being of children at familial risk. The article highlights why these children are an overlooked public health priority population and points to research that aims to alleviate the risk of developing mental illness and stopping the intergenerational transmission of severe mental illness. I sat down with Dr. Duffy to talk about her paper entitled The Well-Being of Children at Familial Risk of Severe Mental Illness, an Overlooked Yet Crucial Prevention and Early Intervention Opportunity. Here's what she had to say. The children of mentally ill parents has been a research focus for you for quite a long time. How did this topic come into your field of vision and capture your attention? Yeah, thank you. That's a great question because actually it was driven 
by the families that I was working with as a resident training in psychiatry in Ottawa. So I was involved in, uh, there was a mentorship program where um, uh, trainees in in the specialty of psychiatry, so in the residency program, could opt into a research stream, which is so important to have clinicians involved in research, translating findings to practice. And so U Ottawa were ahead of the game in that instance, and they had a research mentorship program. I joined that, and I was working with a very talented team under Paul Groff's direction at the time, looking for the genes, quote unquote, for bipolar disorder. And we were interviewing family members who were related to a bipolar um, patient. And the family members were all adults because uh, in those days we, we felt that you had to, to do genetic studies, you had to study people who were already past the peak period of risk so we knew who was going to get ill and who wouldn't get ill. And um, most of those adult relatives of bipolar patients were very interested in research because they were concerned about the risk to their children. And in those days we had no good data to inform us as to individual risk prediction or even what the early course of bipolar disorder really looked like. And so that's when I went to the group and said, you know, as an adolescent psychiatrist in training, I'd really be interested in studying these children and mapping the onset into mood disorders and looking for uh, targets where we could maybe mitigate that risk. And then and improve individualized risk prediction. So that was the beginning of what we called the Flourish Offspring Study, which now is over 25 years uh, in the making. You can listen to the full interview with Dr. Duffy on yesterday's episode of Kingston Currents. That's Kingston Currents July 25th on our podcast network at podcast.cfrc.ca or in our archives at cfrc.ca. That's all for your campus news update this week. And next up is Dinah with weather and traffic. Thanks so much. And now it's time for the CFRC weather report. Tonight we'll have mainly cloudy skies with a 30% chance of showers early this evening and more showers near midnight with a risk of thunderstorm and a low of 20 degrees. On Thursday, showers ending in the morning and then cloudy with a 30% chance of showers. A risk of thunderstorm will be still in effect in the morning and early in the afternoon with a high of 24. At night, we'll have clear skies and a low of 20. On Friday, a mix of sun and cloud with a 40% chance of showers and a high of 28 Friday night. Cloudy periods with a 60% chance of showers and a low of 18. On Saturday, cloudy skies with a 60% chance of showers and a high of 24. Saturday night, clear with a low of 13. And the outlook for Sunday is sunny skies with a high of 24 and cloudy periods that night with a low of 13. And now it's time for the CFRC City of Kingston traffic report. Road closures expected in the next week are on George Street from Wellington to Regent and Regent to James until August 4th. King Street from Plast Arms to the Tragically Hip Way. King Street from Brock to Clarence is closed July 28th from 7 to 10.30. Lower Brewer Swing Bridge is also closed until further notice. Market Street from Ontario to King will be closed on July 23rd and July 28th. Ontario Street from Brock to Clarence is closed July 23rd from 9 to 3. Queen Mary Road from Bath to Notch Hill closed until August 9th. Sir John A. Macdonald Boulevard from Union to King is closed July 21st to July 26th. Sydenham Street from Queen to Princess is closed until September 5th. University Avenue from Union to Earl is closed until December 22nd. Wright Crescent from the south intersection of Palace to 16. Palace is closed until October 31st. Further, the intersection of Montreal Street and John Counter Boulevard is currently being redesigned to add increased active transportation and transit facilities and improved signal timings to enhance overall level of service at the Webb and Crossing. 
Borehole field investigations are required to support the design phase work to determine appropriate rehabilitation methods that can be used for the construction work. Borehole drilling will also cause some traffic disruption at Montreal Street from Bryceland to Cassidy and John Counter Boulevard from Elliott Avenue to Ascot Lane. The Cham Memorial parking lot project is still underway. The garage will be closed from August 4th until August 8th, and there is additional parking at the Hanson Memorial and Robert Bruce Memorial parking garages. However, the Robert Bruce Memorial parking garage second level is expected to remain closed to conclude the structural maintenance and renewal of waterproofing. And there will be temporary closures for cleaning of the Hanson Memorial Parking Garage on July 24th and 26th from 3 to 6, and the lower Robert Bruce Memorial Parking Garage will be closed July 31st and August 1st from 3 to 6 p.m. Motorists can expect other delays on Bath Road at Queen Mary, Bay Ridge from Woodbine to Cat Woods, Highway 15 from Maine to Highway 2, Highway 33 east of the Collins Creek Bridge to west of Coronation Boulevard, Princess Street from Collins Bay to Bay Ridge, Taylor Kidd Boulevard from Collins Bay to 100 meters west of the Collins Creek Bridge, and the Rideau Trail from Queen Mary to Parkway is still closed to replace the sanitary main. And now it's time for the CFRC Community Concert and Events Calendar for this week. Have an event you'd like covered on our website and news programming? Contact us via cfrc.ca today. On Tuesday, July 25th from 3.30 to 4.30, the Barry Ewan Trio will perform at Music in the Park at Confederation Park downtown. And that evening, Salsa in the Square takes place starting at 6.30, where visitors get free salsa lessons in Springer Market Square and enjoy time on the open dance floor until 10 o'clock. Coming up this week at the screening room, it is screening Asteroid City, The Miracle Club, The Lesson, The League, Joyride, Pass lives marie antoinette cowboy bebop the movie wild at heart and vertigo visit screeningroomkingston.com for details and showtimes on july 26th take the ferry and visit hotel wolf island don't miss a rare chance to see little mazarin and eliza niemi featuring local opener liam cole the early show starts at 5 30 and then open mic night hosted by mike rapkins starts thereafter also, on July 26th, a drag performer, Bewitched, will host another Bewitched evening, featuring rotating guests and themes at Barcadia, starting at 8.30. On July 27th, at 7 o'clock, check out Downtown Country, featuring local country music artists, and then head over to Springer Market Square for a free screening of Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, as part of the Summer Movies in the Square series. And local drag legend, Rowena Way, is also hosting Bitch Bingo at Daft Brewing, starting at 7 o'clock. On Friday, July 28th at 8 o'clock, hip-hop artist Cardinal Official and special guest Maestro Fresh Wes will be headlining Rock in the Square, a free rain or shine live performance in Springer Market Square. The City of Kingston is also providing free public transport that evening from 6 to 11 p.m. to support the event. An accessible seating is available and limited lawn chair space is provided. Also on July 28th is day one of the three-day Wolfchella event at Hotel Wolf Island starting at 7.30 with performances by Dartmouth, The Get-Alongs, Theo Vandenhoff, Danny S., and DJ sets by Chris Rickerink and Moon Hymns. And running from July 28th until the 30th, Les Festivilles returns to Jolstow Park in Gananoque from 4 to 9 p.m. featuring pop-up markets, food vendors, and free open-air live performances by George Tierney, The Vaudevillian, Les Soliliquets, and The Backsteps, and also the Paul Langlois Band, Norbert LePage, and José Brault. 
And on July 29th, check out day two of Wolfcella at Hotel Wolf Island, starting at 5.30, featuring DJ sets from DJ LK, DJ Espresso, Club Soda, and Cali Horse, and then Queer Karaoke, hosted by James from The Whip, starting at 10 o'clock. You can learn more about the whole three-day Wolfcella lineup, including the July 30th Shotgun Jimmy and by Divine Right concert, by visiting hotelwolfisland.com. Also on July 29th, KPP Concerts presents Coster with Mitch Mars at Broom Factory. This is an all-ages event starting at 7.30, and you can learn more and get tickets at kppconcerts.com. And finally, on July 29th, Beers for Queers is also happening at Monty's starting at 9 o'clock. Fun social event for two SLGBTQ plus community members and their allies. This week, CFRC invites you to enjoy the lovely weather as much as you can and in a safe way. Grab a book from the library and head to the park, enjoying the breeze under a comfy tree. There is a chance of showers throughout the week, so enjoy it while the sun's out. Thank you for tuning in to CFRC's local news programming. To revisit episodes of Today in YGK and hear more from some of our guests, be sure to head to our podcast network at podcast.cfrc.ca. Today in YGK is brought to you by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada, the Local Journalism Initiative, and Queen's University Career Services. Be sure to stay tuned for more CFRC programming coming up next.